0: In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon His holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of His household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Brothers, sisters, and respected viewers, wherever you may be, assalamu alaykum jani'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you once again for joining us for series on the, inshallah, important and useful topic of the afterlife. So, as you remember, what, what we tried to begin the last times that we have met is that we have tried to start discussing the relationship between this world and the next world and we said that we would do this from various angles and from various dimensions to inshallah clarify the relationship between the faith and the action and the intentions that we have in this life and how they translate into reward and punishment in the afterlife and to do this we began by looking at a number of different notions that we have to make sure we understand clearly the last of which was trying to understand the nature of faith and the nature of iman itself and i don't think that there's a need to do a recap of the entire series, as we usually do, to save time. Except that, in terms of the topic that we began, which is the relationship between this life and the next, we said that we we must first clearly establish the general relationship between this life and the next, which is the metaphor of the garden that we gave. And that, Whatever we hope to achieve and whatever we are going to get in terms of reward or punishment in the afterlife cannot be anything more than what we actually put in place in this world. We are basically stuck and held hostage entirely based on whatever we were able to put in place in this world first. And this is to highlight the notion that there's absolutely no ability, no capacity, for a human being to do anything in terms of voluntary actions to change their state, to do anything about their condition in the afterlife once they have left this world. We are stuck with our beliefs, with our intentions, and with our deeds the moment we leave this world. Until that last breath, you still have the opportunity to act you are still in the world of action and no reward or punishment. And it's only when you, after your last breath, when you leave this world, that you fall into a completely different realm, a completely different dimension that basically prevents you from introducing any new elements that have anything to do with your eternal happiness or unhappiness. And we said that this whole metaphor of The garden is going to be a useful one, and we've already come back to it a couple of times, and we'll see again, inshallah, today that we're going to be using it once again. The other topic that I think was uh, pivotal and crucial for understanding the relationship between this life and the next is that of the type of relationship between belief and action in this world and reward in the afterlife and we said to to simplify it we presented a very small number of different types of relationships that we may have one of them we called the conventional or contractual relationship and basically this would mean that when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says if you do a certain act you are going to get a certain reward or punishment as a result. That this determination, this decision is entirely random, and we refer to it as a matter of convention. So, simply by convention, or perhaps we said it could be looked at as a matter of a contractual relationship, almost like a contract. It's as though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides as a matter of agreement between us and him, between me and God that he says to us, if you do A, you get B. If you pray, you get this reward. If you steal, you get that punishment. So the assignment of the reward or the punishment is kind of random. And we gave examples of this. We said, for instance, when you hire someone to do work, and in exchange for the work that they do, you give them money. Money has nothing to do with the work. The nature of money and the nature of work are two entirely different entities. It's simply because of the agreement, the social agreement, the individual agreement that is put in place, that now this money is equivalent to that work. But in its nature, in its reality, in its existence, there is no relationship between these. And we said one way of understanding the deeds that we perform in this world we get, that's one way to understand it. But we said that maybe a little bit too superficial. It's fine and it explains what it is, but there might be something, an interpretation that is much more powerful, first because of its ability to explain to us a lot of other things in religion, and secondly because of how much power it has on our discipline and on our spirituality. If we know that In fact, it's an existential relationship. Not only is it existential in the sense that there is a real causal relationship, there is a real link, it's not random, but that it is a strong existential relationship. In fact, it's a relationship of identity in that whatever you are putting in, that's what you're getting back and nothing more and nothing less, except that you are getting it in its true form, not the form that you're accustomed to seeing, its appearance or its superficial external appearance, the material appearance of the act as it appears in this world, in our limited material world. What we are getting back in the afterlife is going to be the true form of the action, good and bad, whatever it may be. And to a very large extent, it's not only the action, the action has a part in the shape and form and nature of that that you're getting back, but also the intention with which you're doing it. All of that manifests itself in a reality that we can't see in this world. It's there. We just can't see it. This is not the type of world where we see things as they truly are. This is left and postponed to the afterlife. And in the afterlife, Allah ta'ala says, he will remove the veil off our eyes, as it's said in Surah Qaf, and therefore our sight, our vision is going to be metal sharp, the Holy Qur'an says. Right? As we went through the verses and we explained. So with this, that was the second notion. And the third one is, as we said, trying to really understand what we mean by iman, by faith. What does it really mean when we say we have faith? Because we're trying to really understand the ingredients that we've identified. We said clearly, when we're saying that someone wants to ensure their eternal happiness and and secure an eternal happiness and get away from eternal damnation and unhappiness and whatever may be waiting for someone who is not securing their eternal happiness. And there are only two alternatives. In order to do that. The more we look into things, the more we see that there are only really, it seems there are only two ingredients. There's the faith, the belief, and the action. There are deeds that we put in in this world, and there's a belief system that we have. And there's a relationship between the two, and that's the intention. And inshallah, in, in later discussions, we'll drill down a little bit further into that. But for the time being, We're trying to now really understand each one of these ingredients. So we spent time understanding the first one, which is the faith. Now we understand what faith is. And in fact, it was a very long and dense lecture where we, inshallah, established very clearly what we mean by faith, by Iman, the nature of faith. We distinguished it from knowledge, and then we really started to explain why it is that what really matters most for someone's eternal happiness is going to be this faith because this is what gives direction to your actions your actions don't mean anything in themselves they only mean something once the intention is added to them and this topic we're going to come back to it okay now the intermediary topic is now that we've understood faith We want to understand the relationship between faith and action. And then we're going to focus more on action, because now we understood faith, and we want to understand the relationship between the two, and then we will move to the action itself. And this is all to avoid a misconception that someone may have, and we already started answering this. Someone may think, okay, so what really matters is to have to carry the right faith, to carry the right belief. If I carry the right belief, then I'm, I've am i secured for myself eternal happiness. So now we need to add to it to really understand if that is the case, if faith is truly what matters, that's today's question, then what's the role of action? All of our lives seem to be based on actions. Now. We went a little bit deeper, and until now we've established, no, the main ingredient is actually belief, faith. Okay, then we have to come back and see, but why do we need the deeds then? What do the deeds do? And so before we focus just on the deeds, let's understand the relationship between faith and deeds. And then we'll talk a little bit more about deeds. Is the relationship between faith and deeds between iman and amal? Is it that they are completely and entirely separate? Or if there is a relationship, which clearly there is, that's why we're talking about it, is it one way? Until now, one part of the relationship should have been clear because we keep talking about it, which is the impact, which is the role, the function that belief has on action. He says it gives it direction, it gives it meaning. And we're gonna explain and elaborate this a lot more now and in the future. But is there also an impact, an effect from the amal, from the act, from the deed on belief too or not? Is it one way or two way? Because if it's two way, it means that what we said previously, which is the main ingredient is belief, the main ingredient is faith, needs to be properly qualified because that's a misconception which in fact created a lot of problems if you go back in history. Entire schools of thought emerged, and they still exist today. Whether people know that, you know, there are schools of thought that belong to, that also adhere to this thinking or not, people just, you know, innocently and out of their own thinking believe this. A lot of people think that because I hold the right belief system, I have the right elements of faith, that's good enough, and that remains as is. And then you know there are good deeds and bad deeds and all of that but that's kind of secondary so long as i'm a mu'min i have at least the main elements of faith that i'm carrying so that's that's my security that's my safety net so we really need to understand how does the relationship between those two ingredients work or is it a two-way street two-way relationship or is it one-way unidirectional So, in the introduction, I didn't want to spend too much time on uh, some of these points. I think until now, the the, the fact that belief is the determining factor for our eternal happiness, inshallah, this is clear. And we're going to come back to it and clarify it a bit more. And if there are more questions on this, uh, we can talk about it at the end. So, I'm going to go quickly over this. The actions, for now, it should have become clear that they are derived out of your belief system. In fact, when we began this entire series on on our beliefs, one of the first topics we talked about was the distinction, we called it a worldview. If you remember the notion of the worldview and what makes it up, and we said a worldview is made up of three important existential questions, three big elements. Where do I come from? What am I doing here? And where am I going? Every human being, once they have a certain maturity, that's what they're wondering. We're hardwired this way. No matter what you look at, anything that has to do with the the deeper thinking of a human being, whether you look at it from psychology, from religion, from sociology, uh, no matter what aspect of a human being you look at, you'll see that it comes down to these questions. They motivate and drive the existence of a human being psychologically. So and we explain that the moment you answer these questions whether it's conscious or not because sometimes people answer them unconsciously they just go with the flow but the flow has already assumed and imposed certain answers to these questions then this is what gives meaning to every act you perform no matter what it is from the smallest act to the biggest life decisions that you're making all of it depends on your worldview Whatever worldview you put in, you you establish, that's your foundation. Every act you perform after this worldview is in place is given direction and meaning based on the worldview. The act in itself does not mean anything. It's just a, a random act. It's a movement or whatever it may be. And inshallah, we come back to that maybe much later too. But I think this point we made it clear when we began the entire series, because we were wondering, why do we even need to spend time discussing these issues of worldview and what we refer to in our classical language as aqaid, beliefs, which is which are the elements, the articles that make up faith, right? So inshallah, for those who have been with us from the beginning, this part should be clear. What we said, until now especially with the last couple of lectures is that beliefs if you have the right belief system beliefs are going to lead to your eternal happiness and here inshallah also clear but we'll talk about it more today beliefs or your entire belief system the extent to which you believe is not a black and white uh, dichotomy. It's not an off thing. Belief becomes a an infinite continuum. Really an infinite, this is not an exaggeration when I say it's infinite. Your belief can increase infinitely. There is no end to how strong your faith may be, your belief may be. And on the opposite side, there's also no end to how low you can sink. And this is the mystery and the sacredness and the beauty of what makes you a human being The essence of a human being, how much freedom you've been given, how high you can really go, and how low you can really go. This is the meaning of the freedom that you've been given. Okay, but this is when it comes to internally the foundation that you're establishing, which is your belief system. Your belief system is going to guarantee your eternal happiness, if you have the right one. Let's say someone does have the right correct belief system, the right relationship and understanding of the relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with themselves, and so on and so forth. In that case, if that is in place, if there are sins, in our language, if there's misdeeds, disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and so on and so forth, this equals to some punishment. That's one. And this should be clear for now. The Second option is that someone does not have this correct belief system in place, okay? So the first case, someone does have that belief system in place, but there are sins. What happens? There is some punishment. That's all we know for now. This is gonna become a lot more elaborated and explained later. Now the other side, someone, For sure, we know they do not hold the right belief system. In fact, we're talking about the stronger. We said there's two ways to understand disbelief. Kufr, we said it could be understood as simply a lack of faith. We said we put that aside. We don't know anything about that. That's entirely left to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala to determine to what extent this knowledge has reached someone. Usually when the Holy Quran talks about kufr, it's talking about the strong sense of rejecting stubbornly a truth that has come to you. This is our concern. The truth the truth has reached you and you decide to reject it stubbornly. In that case, we said, you have guaranteed for yourself, if you are at type of context where you have entirely rejected the truth once it comes to you, you have guaranteed for yourself eternal unhappiness, damnation, punishment, You have shut shut the door, shut off the possibility to yourself of ever being in a state that leads to eternal happiness. You've prevented yourself from that. And so we ask them in that case, what happens to your good deeds? Because you may still do good deeds, but you don't have the belief system that goes with it. So that was in the last discussion. But as I said, I know it was dense and fast, and we covered a lot, so I'm, I'm recapping some of it the points because we need them to build on and we said in themselves they're worthless for your eternal happiness if you don't have the right belief system your acts in themselves do not contribute anything to your eternal happiness does it mean that they are entirely worthless or not we said no they're not entirely worthless they still perform a function but that function is not contributing to your eternal happiness, which is really what we should all be existentially, what we should all be concerned about and worried about. It may perform a function in this life, and that Allah says, when you work for this life, whatever you're endeavoring for, whatever you're striving for, I will give it to you. And we saw the verses explicitly talk about this. But then you have no share left for the afterlife, because you did not work for it. And also, and we'll come back to that, inshallah, where we'll talk about this specifically, also on the other side, in the afterlife, it may be that there is a reduced punishment. Because you didn't have the right belief, you walked in another direction, but whatever you did contributed and helped others. It served. That's great. There is a reduction of what's awaiting you on the other side. Inshallah, we'll, we'll get back to that uh, later. So up until now, these are all points that we covered, but because they were covered maybe in complex ways, we're trying to present them in a simple way. So belief and knowledge, that's what we tried to focus on last time. Belief and knowledge are two different things. You may have knowledge of something, that does not mean that you have belief of it. You may understand it very well this still does not necessarily mean that you believed in it that you have faith in it that you have iman okay disbelief as we said just like belief is on an infinite spectrum just like belief the accumulation of sins and this was to distill a misconception you may have the right belief system which we said opens the door for eternal happiness Someone may think, okay, that's enough. The problem is you may have the right belief system, but because you're not performing the right things, you keep performing sins, the accumulation of sins may lead to disbelief. And we went through the verses of the Quran that talked about this. So we established this as a rule. And on the other side, the accumulation of good deeds may have an effect on someone Whether they do believe or not, it's just extremely limited and almost meaningless for your afterlife if you don't have the right belief system. But we already have here the seeds, the first elements to see that there is a role being played by both belief and action. Now we want to go a step further and look at what what is the role on each other, faith and needs. So what's the relationship of belief to action? As a reminder, we said that belief, Iman, is a type of inclination of your heart to a knowledge that you have understood. It's a submission, it's an act of submission of your soul or of your heart to something that you have understood mentally, intellectually. And of course, this is to remind us that it's an act. Okay, Belief and faith is an act. And this is where we distinguished with knowledge. And we said, knowledge, there is no act on your part. Knowledge is automatic. If you are confronted with a situation where the image of something is presented to you, you don't need to do anything. There is no act on your part to get the knowledge. Knowledge happens automatically. The image, whether it's a notion, the end result of an argument, or a perception that you have, knowledge is always automatic. If you are presented with the right things, the image that ensues from all those things is automatic. But whether you do something about it, whether you accept it in your heart, that's an act. This is what really matters. This act, this is what we refer to as Iman. To what extent do you submit to this truth that is right in front of you, that is mentally presented to you? Okay, this is why we said knowledge is important. It's a necessary condition but it's not sufficient this is the part that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us that once we are presented with information properly that information translates into a mental image automatically there's no real merit in that this is a god-given ability in the human being where there is merit where there is worth is to what extent do you accept that and this, then this needs to translate into action. As we said, if you understand this properly, then the opposite, on the opposite end, this means that not only is the rejection of this considered a lack of faith, considered a kufur, but even hesitation when you're not sure when you're going back and forth about accepting and not accepting, or not accepting fully that knowledge is not going to be equivalent. And this is all, we're saying all of this to clearly establish where faith really is and why we keep saying there's a spectrum. And this applies to all of us. We may have a lot more faith in certain things and a lot less faith in others. And as we said, when we link this to our actions, this is the ultimate test. To what extent are the actions coming out, being derived naturally from your belief system? And we're gonna talk about this in a second, a little bit more. And so, yes, there is a misconception, as we said, that sometimes they say so long as belief is internal, I'm safe. Because my, I feel my belief system is good. I believe in the right things. All the rest is kind of details. So long as I believe in the right things, I'm, I'm good. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Holy Quran makes this, this, this distinction very clear. And without going in too many verses, we'll talk about some verses a little bit later. In one verse, specifically, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَالَتَ الْأَعْرَابُ آمَنَّا we may think we may want to say the Arabs have said, but it's not really the Arabs have said. It's the Bedouins. The Arabs are those who stay away from the civilized world. Okay, that's Arab. It's different. It's not the Arab. Okay, the Arabs are those who remove themselves away from what we would refer to as kind of civilized or city dwelling and living. Those who expressly remove themselves, so they live in a, a different state and a different mentality. That's a big discussion that we will inshallah one day have. It means we stay removed from the center of knowledge, specifically in this case, which is Islam. They stay removed from the Holy Prophet. So knowledge is not really read them. They may have bits and pieces of what the Holy Prophet has taught, but they stay away, living away, as the Bedouins did at that time. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about those people. They have said we believe. And this is very, very direct from the Holy Quran. The Bedouins say we believe. Say you do not believe. Rather, say we have accepted قُلُوا أَسْلَمْنَا So we have accepted Islam or we have submitted. For belief has not yet entered your hearts. Okay, so clearly the Holy Quran is saying there's two big categories here. In fact, as we said, it's an infinite, infinitely large spectrum or continuum. But clearly, these people have not even reached the point where the Holy Quran accepts them saying we have Iman. The Holy Quran rejects it categorically, says, You do not say we have Iman. You do not have Iman. You have entered Islam. That's it. Yet, if you obey God and his messenger, he will not diminish for you any of your deeds. Truly, God is forgiving, merciful. So in other words, in case you think, oh, then why am I doing any of this? Allah Taala says, no, you're going to get your rewards, but you still have a long way to go before you are allowed to say, I am mu'min. Iman has not yet entered your heart. Okay, so we need to, what does this tell us? based on everything that we've said? What do we need to take away from this? First of all, that faith has many degrees. In fact, it has, as we said, an infinity of degrees. These people are praying and fasting and taking the teachings of the Holy Prophet and applying them in practice. But Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala here is not, is saying this is not enough. This is not true faith yet. Because all of this is happening externally. And this is why we said what really matters is your belief system, which gives meaning and which directs your actions. Your actions in themselves externally, they don't really carry any meaning. This is not what's going to translate into reward or punishment in the afterlife. This is a means to something else. Otherwise, you might look at the prayer of that Arabi, and then you come to Amir Mu'minin and you look at his prayer and you see an external appearance, they're performing the same act. So what's the issue? Why is it that in one case we're saying this is the, the epitome, the, the zenith, the summit of Tawheed? And in the other case, we're saying that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala tells them, Don't even say we have iman. You have just entered Islam. What's the difference? They're both performing the same act. That's why we keep saying the act is meaningless without your foundation. Where it becomes important is now, if we're saying that it has a gradation, if iman, if faith, if belief is an infinite spectrum, and this is where we want to focus today, for every level of belief, there has to be a corresponding level of action. the opposite so inshallah this is what we're gonna explore today every level of belief has an a corresponding level of action it has to be aligned with it and this is where we're going to have to bring back the topic of knowledge that we spoke about okay so park this we're going to need it from this verse the next point unfortunately and this is where we translate this theory into practice, for the majority of us, there is not a perfect match between your beliefs and the level of action that you're supposed to have. And both are possible. So in certain cases, someone may have a certain level of belief and you would expect a certain level of action And you see that at the level of action, someone may have a higher level of action than their beliefs. And unfortunately, this translates into usually people who act blindly, not knowing what they do. And so it looks like just random rituals because there is no meaning behind them. You haven't acquired the knowledge to know what you're doing with these acts. And this is, inshallah, not the problem for any of us. Unfortunately for us, we have the other problem. We have a certain level of belief, at the level of theory and iman and notions, we have a certain level. And as we said, it's an infinity, it can always grow. And inshallah, it's always growing. But when we look at the level of action that should correspond to that level of belief, we see that it doesn't match it, it's lower. Which tells us that perhaps the issue is not in, There's a mismatch. We're going to see where it may come from. The question that we want to have is, where is the mismatch happening? And so what if there's a mismatch? What's the danger in the mismatch? In an ideal situation, if there's an infinity of levels of belief, if there's different levels of belief, in an ideal situation, my actions my deeds should be matching the level of belief. But in certain cases, it does not match. What's happening? The truth is, if I am acting in a certain way, and as we said, my actions are always getting meaning and their drive from my belief system. This is what gives intention and intentionality or direction to my actions. If I have a certain level of belief and my actions are not matching, the issue is that if I go back to the notion of belief versus knowledge, then according to that distinction, I most likely have knowledge but not belief. If I had true belief, I would have a lot more control over my action, a lot more discipline over my action. I'm saying it this way because for the majority of us, and this is a question we always wonder for ourselves, how do I get more discipline? How do I discipline myself? Where do I get that motivation to discipline myself to be better, to do better, to do more? So I'm using the language of control and discipline. The truth, however, is that it's not really a matter of control and discipline if you had real belief, because it comes naturally. It would be effortless or with very little effort to do the thing that you truly believe in. But because you are not at the level where you have solid and strong belief in it, You have knowledge of it, but you don't have belief. You're still moving from knowledge to belief. Your heart has not fully submitted or understood the notion. You've accepted it to a certain point, so you force yourself to do it. But you haven't accepted it to the point, for instance, where, as the example we used, if someone brings to you a cup and says, this might be poison or water, I'm not sure, And so you stay away from it and it doesn't do you anything. You don't feel that there was a huge effort on your part to stay away from this cup because you have a belief, a firm belief beyond the knowledge, the theoretical knowledge. You have a belief that if you drink poison, you'll die. You have belief in the harm that the cup does. So it doesn't require a lot of effort from you to stay away from the cup. If you viewed the sin in the same way, it would be as effortless to stay away from it. But we don't view the sin this way. We don't look at the sin in the way we look at poison, which means that your faith and belief and iman in the poison and its harm is much greater than your belief in the harm of the sin and this is where it becomes a test for each one of us this is where you test yourself do i know yes i know it's a them okay and i know there's punishment okay but to what extent have you actually internalized this and your heart has fully submitted to it so that you know okay i have to get up in the middle of the night to pray salat al-fajr or even better to pray Salat layl To what extent have you internalized, have you submitted, your heart has submitted to this truth that you understand theoretically? You understand theoretically that it's wajib. You understand theoretically that it's very mustahab. But you understand it theoretically to the point where you submit to it as you would submit if tomorrow you had a doctor's appointment at five or if you had an exam at five or not. This is where you see, this is where it becomes the test. How much effort does it take from you? It's effort, it's not effortless. You have to wake up at five to write an exam. You're probably gonna wake up at three or four and prepare for it because there is harm and you have belief and iman in the harm. So that part, Yes, it's effort. You have to force yourself. Who would want to do that? It's not effortless, but you don't really think about it. You say, that's it. I have to do it because I have belief. The person who doesn't have belief in this, they won't do it. They'll sleep in. They'll be sloppy about it. They'll fail their course. This is where you see the difference in belief. But if you do have belief, whatever it may be, it may be work, it may be school, it may be whatever else you care about in life you'll see that you have belief. So you apply it. The more belief you have in the outcome or the harm, the positive, the negative effects of it, the more you're going to do it effortlessly. It's not going to require an effort from you as though you're, you know, moving a mountain. But yet when we come to sometimes very simple acts, like making sure that we pray on time, Or that we pray at all or that we fast or that we perform certain deeds or stay away from certain deeds we see that it's like you're you have to move a mountain it's that difficult okay how come this other thing is not that difficult whatever it is in your life that anyone else looking at it from the outside would say you know this is an accomplishment this is it requires effort and discipline and yet you do it and you might downplay it and you may not, but at the end, the secret is because you believe in it. And if to them that's a big accomplishment, it's because they don't believe in it as much as you do. Otherwise, to them it wouldn't be such a big accomplishment. So the difference really comes down to how much belief do you have in those things that you know, you're supposed to know. And that's why we say, If you want to be really technical and accurate in your understanding of belief, we said belief has to translate into action. We said that last time, it was in passing and quick. But so long as it doesn't manifest itself in your action, this should be your criteria, your indicator, your test, that maybe you're not yet at the level of belief. You're still at the level of knowledge. Which is good. You need knowledge. Without knowledge, you go nowhere. But once the knowledge is there, the knowledge itself is only an additional burden. It's only an additional responsibility, as we saw from the hadith. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says, If you don't know, then why did you not go learn? And if you do know, then why did you not act based on your knowledge? Keeping it at the level of knowledge doesn't mean anything. Just carrying the knowledge around. The Holy Quran says it's like a donkey. الْحِمَارِ يَحْمِلُ He carries knowledge around. Imagine in Surah Al-Jum'ah it says, there are people who carry the knowledge, but they don't use it themselves. Their example is like the example of a donkey who's carrying books. Asfar. He's carrying books. Is there knowledge being carried by the donkey? Yes. A lot of knowledge. Is the donkey using the knowledge? No. He can't use that knowledge. So of course, this is an extreme case. Allah is using very harsh language here. Inshallah, for us, it's not that. We know what is good, so the knowledge is there, and we do it. The issue is, do we have the discipline to do it constantly and to keep improving on it, or is it on and off sometimes and sometimes? So this is why we're trying to identify what is the issue, and inshallah, we go to the remedy soon. It's not just identifying where the problem is. If, as we said, you have the knowledge and you look at the actions and you see that the actions are not translating properly, there's not a perfect concordance. It's still not good enough. As we said, the issue may be that there's a lack of control. There's a lack of discipline. And as I said, I'm using this language because usually that's the language we use. How do I get more discipline? How do I get the, the spiritual strength, the psychological strength to avoid the sin or to do the good? And as we said, the truth is, it's not even a matter of that much of discipline and, and, and uh, control and all of that. To a, to a large extent, it needs to be an internal motivation, which comes out of your faith. If you have true faith, stronger faith, you fully submit to it, you really understand it and internalize it, you will have an internal motivation to do it. And it becomes a lot less of a hassle, a lot less of an effort they have to endeavor and strive and fight yourself to do because you actually believe in it. You don't even need an external you know, reminder and push and whatever it may be. On the other side, those who have, as we said, more faith, a more complete faith, this is going to lead to more and better actions. Okay, so as we said, better control, better discipline, and so on and so forth. So up until now, I think the the relationship or the effect of faith on action is starting to become a lot clearer. Okay, we're going to slowly move to the other side of the equation. That's one side. So as we said, the act that is voluntary, that is coming from you, is either matching the level of faith or it is not. When it is matching, so you have a certain level of faith, let's say you have a level of faith one, and your actions are of level one, then what is happening? What happens is that when your deeds and actions match fully the level of faith, it makes the faith stronger. It makes the faith real and solid and anchored and it translates into being part of you. When you have faith, the more you do actions that match that level of faith, the more that faith becomes you or you become that faith. So if you go back to the notions that we presented earlier, which is when you go in the afterlife, what you're getting back is your belief and your acts, but manifested in their true form. In other words, it's you who is manifested in your true form in the afterlife. And this belief that you have to anchor it and really make you at that level of faith that you think you are at to use the full potential of that faith that you have, you need to constantly be doing a level of action that matches that level of faith. So long as you're not fully using that level of faith, you still have a way to go, this is not really who you are. This faith is not going to translate into your reward. There's a gap, there's a lack, So this is the case of someone who is performing at their full level, at the full level of their faith. You have a certain level of faith and your actions are corresponding. It means you're taking full advantage of your faith. And this action, the role of the act on the faith is that it solidifies it and it keeps it in place. In other words, it becomes real. It's not a theory. It's not a notion and it's not a passing state that may just come and go. You may get a level of knowledge about something, a mental image of something. You understand it, it affects you and your heart submits to it. You need to do something now with it. This needs to become action. If nothing happens with that action, that faith will not stay you'll go back to your previous level of faith. If you do something with that faith an act, you have just increased your chances of keeping this new level of faith. If you do another act at this level of faith, you've just increased your chances of keeping this new level of faith. You do two, you do 10, you do a thousand things, the more you do, the more it becomes, this becomes your new level of faith. It becomes a lot more difficult afterwards to slide back to a lower level of faith because you're anchoring it in place with the good deeds. Deeds that match the new level of faith. Once the knowledge has been acquired and your heart has accepted it, it needs to become acts. It doesn't become acts, you slide back. That new level of faith, you've just lost it, okay? So far so good, we're gonna build on this. On the other side, and of course there's a a language that sometimes we we hear and use and it's in the narrations and it's in the Holy Quran, it's used a lot. Another way of putting this is to say that every time you're performing an act that matches the level of faith, you're increasing the light of the heart. Okay, so you will see tens or dozens of narrations the Holy Qur'an talks a lot about the theme of light and nur. This is something that comes back again and again. So let's just put it out there when Allah SWT talks about that nur, to use that language and those themes, this is how it translates. That if you want to increase the nur, the intensity of the light in your heart, you do it with deeds. The deeds increase the light in your heart. And on the other side, Every time a misdeed is done, every time a a sin is performed, then you're removing that light and creating darkness. Or as we saw in a couple of the narrations that we talked about, we saw how the Holy Prophet or the Imam says, there's white, a white spot in the heart that becomes darkened, that becomes black or darkened with time. And if it reaches a certain point, then there is no going back because it's been fully covered and it hasn't been cleansed fast enough and you just kept accumulating the sins on top of the sins, on top of the sins, then the entire white of the heart, the light of the heart has now been darkened. There is no going back after this. There is no hope for this person. Or if there is, it's a tremendous and exceptional effort on their part to get rid of that. So good actions in themselves increase the belief. And this is where we have to build on it to the next level. You have a certain belief level. As we said, let's say belief level 5. Now you are performing deeds that match, and they correspond to belief level 5. If you are really doing that and using your belief fully, it means that your belief is getting stronger and more solid, and it will create a new level of action for you that you have to perform. The new level of action will feed a new level of belief, which will create a new level of action. There is always more to do. There is always more road ahead to move towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're entirely dependent on how much belief you have. Every time you fully meet your belief with your actions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make sure that the door is being opened for more good, for more good action. If you take it, you will have more belief. In other words, what we're describing is what we can refer to as a virtuous circle, a virtuous cycle. When you have belief of a certain level, it needs to translate into action. If it translates fully into action, it will give you a new level of belief. The new level of belief means you have to do now the new level of action. There are people, All of us, inshallah, we have done this. We've gone through this cycle again and again. We were at, but each one of us, some of us may decide that I want to stop at a certain level and I'm going to come back to that point. And inshallah, for for all of us, we are never happy stopping at a certain level. The more we know that there is a lot more. In fact, there is an infinity of road ahead that you can keep climbing. You can keep going up, why would you stop? The moment you understand that your heart has submitted to a new level of faith, you've acquired new notions, and your heart has accepted them, this means this is a call to action. You will understand what that action is. That action, if you take it, it means your level of faith has now increased. Your faith is not, did not stay in the level of knowledge. It became faith. Faith will call for a new action. And the cycle continues. On the other side there's also the vicious cycle. Every time a misdeed is performed because if the chance is simply missed but you at least continue to perform and what you had before, let's say you stay the same, which is very difficult in this life. You kind of can't ever stay the same. There is no staying the same. Every breath that you're taking in this life is a direction that you're taking, it's a step. Every act, every intention, every breath, every moment, you made a decision. How are you spending it? A step towards God or a step away from God? There is nothing in between. There is nowhere in the afterlife where you can sit between heaven and hell and think this is neutral. There's no neutral. You're given a, an investment fund that you can use in this life If a certain amount of breaths, a certain amount of days, a certain amount of years. You're using it in one way or another. This equals steps towards Allah ta'ala or away from Him. There's nothing in between. So on the other side, the vicious circle is that every time you have a certain level of belief and bad action, are performed, sins, misdeeds are performed, you are now weakening the faith. If you continue to do that, you just keep going down, dwindling down all the way to, and this is where the danger comes in, you lose your faith. There is no more faith left. And this is why we may say that what really matters at the end is your belief, but your belief only means something if you've anchored it in your soul through actions. And if there are sins, the sins are constantly darkening this faith, this heart, this soul, constantly bringing it down. Who knows how down you've gone with the sins? And this is where it becomes clear that yes, the main ingredient is faith, but enough sins can cause that faith to entirely disappear. You're constantly regressing. You can have all the knowledge of the world, but the stubbornness or the arrogance or the defiance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps bringing you back down. The knowledge itself doesn't mean anything. Okay, so you're acquiring it, but it's not translating it into action. If we look at certain verses of the Quran to establish all of this, and then we'll stop after this. So a first verse of the Quran says, and this is one of the main ones. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "إليه يصعد الكلم الطيب والعمل الصالح يرفع." Unto Him, unto Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, ascends the good word. We're going to come back to the good word in a second. Keep this good word, al Kalimu al-Tayyib. إليه يصعد الكلم الطيب. The good word is what is going to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. and the righteous deeds, yarfa. That which elevates the good word to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the good deed. So what is the good word? The good word is your belief. The good word is your tawheed. Al-Kalima al-Tayyib is the Tawheed. If you go back to the narrations from Ahlul Bayt alayhi wasalam, they make this very clear. What goes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is your Tawheed, which is one word to summarize all of our religion, your entire faith, your entire worldview. It's your Tawheed. What goes to Allah, that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assesses you against, judges you against, is your Tawheed, is your faith. Is your belief is your iman? But how high does it actually go? Only as high as the good righteous deeds elevate it. <inaudible> unto him ascends the good word, and the righteous deed uplifts it. And there are alternative interpretations to this verse, but that's that's the main one. Another one. إنما المؤمنون الذين إذا ذكر الله وجلت قلوبهم وإذا تليت عليهم آياته زادتهم إيماناً وعلى ربهم يتوكلون إنما المؤمنون. When the whole Quran uses this, when it says إنما أَلْ, in Arabic, this basically means this is exclusive. Only those. It's an emphasis and an exclusion. Okay, so to translate this, you would say only they are believers. Those whose hearts quake with the fear or with fear when God is mentioned. Okay, so this is a an indicator of faith. But what else? And when his signs, slash his verses, when his signs are recited unto them, they increase them in faith and they trust in their Lord. Okay, so this is very clearly establishing that there is an increase in faith that happens. And now we have one way of increasing the faith. Let's keep going. In Surah al فَزَادَتْهُمْ رِجْسًا إِلَىٰ رِجْسِهِمْ And whensoever a surah is sent down, some among them, the hypocrites, some among them say, which of you has this increased in faith? So the same surah is coming down to the Holy Prophet and the Holy Prophet recites it to the people. Then there are people who say, well, whose faith has increased now that there's the new surah that has come down? Which of you has increased this, has this increase in faith? As for those who believe, it increases them in faith and they rejoice. But as for those in whose hearts is a disease, it adds defilement, ridges, wickedness, to their defilement and they die while they are disbelievers. The same thing is causing two completely different outcomes. It's a verse or a chapter from the Holy Quran revealed to the Holy Prophet, and he delivers a message to the people. Some people, it increases them in faith and they rejoice, and some people, it adds wickedness to their wickedness. Those, the Holy Quran says, who have a disease in their heart. Okay, next verse, Surah Al Kahf. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Nahnu na bilhaq. In the well known story of the the men who went to the cave, the young men who, who ran away from their people and they went to the cave to hide. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa says, We recount their story unto you in truth. Verily, they were youths who believed in their Lord, okay, and we increased them in guidance which means they did what which means they acted based on their belief Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says so i increased them in guidance and this is this is a, a very short verse it's absolutely beautiful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it seems very simple imagine centuries later a few men who by some random chance They encounter each other and they talk to each other and they see they're all running away from the same thing. They're fed up with not being able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're fed up with how their people worship and what they deal with. And so they decide to run away from their people and and they go and they find a cave and they hide in it. That, the story in itself would seem like it's a very simple story. And that's it. How many people know about what just happened? Really not that many. And here we are centuries and centuries later, reading this, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving a testimony about them. There's something amazing here. Imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would say about any of us. Imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you would know that He says a word like this about you. He says, عَلَيْكَ نَبَأْهُمْ بِالْحَقِّ Truly they were." إِنَّهُمْ آمَنُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ This is a testimony from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they carried real belief. إِنَّهُمْ آمَنُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ So Allah wa ta'ala says, and as a reward, I don't just accept their faith and reward reward them for it in the afterlife. No, no, I add, I increase them in guidance. They acted based on that belief. That belief comes with a responsibility. They acted based on it. So I increase them in guidance. In other words, I increase them in faith. On the other side, ثُمَّ كان عقبة الَّذِينَ أساؤ, Then the end, the end result of those who committed evil deeds لَذِينَ sua. So the end result of those who committed evil deeds will be most evil. For they denied the signs of Allah and they mocked them. So what's the difference? These people were also at a certain level of belief. But their, their action led them to what? You'd never stay at the same level. There's always an action and a decision being taken. It's either increasing you in guidance or increasing you in disbelief. So Allah says, The end result is that they rejected and they denied all of the signs of Allah. ﷻ. ان and so, of course, this is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not placed a disease in anyone's heart. This is a spiritual disease, by the way. In other words, you know, between two brackets, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying they have chosen a disease for themselves. They've chosen the disease of, in this case, hypocrisy, nifaq. This is the beginning of Surah al-Baqarah it talks about the So it says, in their heart is a disease. So if you choose to put a disease in your heart, what happens? Allah says, whatever path you choose, I will help you in that path. Whatever track you place yourself on, I will help you in that. You want this world? That's the track you want? I'll help you here. You want misguidance? I'll help you in your misguidance. You want guidance? I will help you in your guidance. You're free, and I will help you, and I will enable you in that path. In their hearts is a disease, and God has increased them in disease. Theirs is a painful punishment for having lied. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, وَلَا كَثِيرًا مِنْهُمْ مَا Surely that which has been sent down unto you from your Lord will increase many of them in rebellion and disbelief. Why? It's guiding a lot of people. No, because the, those people have decided to move in the other direction. This is where you have to constantly think about: you have knowledge or not, okay? Do you have belief that matches the knowledge, and is it turning into action that matches that belief? For each one of these verses, we're looking at it from a different angle. When you nestle Quran, this one is very clear. Allah SWT says, and we sent down, we, we send down from the Quran. That which is a cure and a mercy for the believers. If you're a believer, this becomes an indicator, another test for all of us. What does the Quran do to you? To what extent does this apply to you? Are you neutral to the Quran? Or does it do something? What's the effect? Is it Shifa? Do you feel that the Quran is Shifa? for you? Do you feel that the Qur'an is a Rahmah for you? Because the Quran, Allah says, what we reveal from the Qur'an is a cure and a mercy for the believers. So this becomes an indicator. To what extent is the Qur'an a cure and to what extent is the Qur'an a mercy? And if it's neither of these, the Qur'an continues and it increases the wrongdoers in nothing but loss. ولا يزيد الظالمين إلا خسارة. It's the same Quran. But what are you doing with it? Finally, وَإِذْ قَالَ مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ يَا قَوْمِ لِمَ وَقَدْ تَعْلَمُونَ أَنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَيْكُمْ فَلَمَّا So Allah Wa Ta'ala says when Musa Alayhi said to his people, Oh my people, why do you hurt me? Though you know well that I am the messenger of God unto you. See the knowledge. Musa Alayhi is testifying, saying, there there is no excuse left. You know for sure that I am the messenger of Allah to you, and yet you still hurt me. You still defy and lie and stubbornly, you know, disobey Musa as they were with him. So when they swerved, Zahu, they deviated, God caused their hearts to swerve. And God does not. Uh, and God does not guide a transgressing people. Conclusion from all of this, what do we draw? I think a first point, inshallah, that is clear enough is that there is no staying still. Every piece of knowledge that you acquire in your life can and should, inshallah, become at some point, if it's true knowledge, should be internalized into your belief system, which means and we've defined what belief is, which means your heart submits to it, inclines to it, right, accepts it. But for this to become part of who you are so that you can actually say my faith has increased, you need to translate this into action. The more you translate this into action, the more this faith becomes solid and generates more good for you. But also more responsibility. If you take it, it increases your faith. If you don't, you stagnate or regress. If you take it, you are part of the virtuous cycle. Back and forth, you keep going up. If you don't take it, best case scenario, you stay at that level. Worst-case scenario is you keep dwindling back. It depends how much faith you already had. If you're right fresh onto that road, and there's already not that much faith in the first place, there's not a lot of control over and discipline over your freedom and your faculties and what you do. It's already loose. There's already not much in place. There's nothing that has anchored the belief yet. So the risk of sliding, slipping back into nothing, into no faith, is there. It's very present. One way to look at all of this, to reuse a metaphor that we have used a few times, and again, it's not random, is the metaphor of the tree. So the roots of that tree is your belief and your worldview. And then you have a trunk and branches out of that tree. Those become your intentions and your will to act. The branches and the leaves of that tree, these become your actions. And finally, you have the fruits. The fruits, you don't have access to them in this world. The fruits, what you're ultimately trying to get out of that tree, this is all left for you in the afterlife. Right? The start is clear, inshaAllah. And we use the metaphor so that all of these become clear for us in the end. All of these become clear for us in the end. Uh, Antadallah, Akamil okay inshallah because the reason why the metaphor works it's not just to add metaphors on top of metaphors it's because there's a lot of elements to all of this so inshallah the metaphor makes it very easy for you afterwards if you're trying to remember all the elements just go back to the metaphor and look at the tree and of course on the other side you may have a tree that is diseased you may have a tree that had roots But unfortunately, because of where it was planted or what was done to those roots, the tree never becomes a trunk and then branches and then leaves and then fruits. And in some cases, you don't even have any roots. The roots don't even stay. They don't even anchor themselves down. What you're getting in the afterlife depends on that tree, what you're doing with that tree. And all of this may look like it's a cheesy metaphor. Keep it in mind, and we'll look at one final verse of the Qur'an that has to do with this. In Surah Ibrahim a.s., Allah s.a.w. says, أَلَمْ تَرَ كَيْفَ ضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا كَلِمَةً طيبة. We go back to الْكَلِمَةً طَيِّبًا Okay, now we're, see how the whole Qur'an keeps using the same terminology. These are notions in the Qur'an. كيف ضرب الله مثلا كلمة طيبة كشجرة طيبة أصلها ثابت أصلها ثابت وفرعها في السماء تؤتي أكلها كل حين بإذن ربها ويضرب الله الأمثال للناس ويضرب الله الأمثال للناس لعلهم يتذكرون ومثل كلمة خبيثة كشجرة خبيثة On the other side وَمَثَلُ كَلِمَةً خَبِيثَةٍ كَشَجَرَةٍ خَبِيثَةٍ اجْتُثَّتْ مِنْ فَوْقِ الْأَرْضِ مَا لَهَا مَنْ قَرَارَ Have you not considered how God sets forth a parable? A good word is like, is a good tree. Its roots firm and its branches high in the sky. It brings forth its fruit in every season. This is the good tree, which is the good word, which we explained earlier. It brings forth its fruits in every season by the permission of its Lord. God sets forth parables for humankind that they may perhaps remember. And the parable of a bad word is that of a bad tree uprooted. From the face of the earth. It doesn't stick. It's been completely dislodged and uprooted. It has no stability. God makes firm those who believe with firm speech in the life of this world and in the hereafter. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He increases the firmness, He increases the quality of the faith of those who believe with words in this world and in the hereafter. And God leads the wrongdoers astray. So of course now we see the parable was about what? When Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala says, الثابتي, This is a kalima This is all we had for the topic for today ala Questions concerns comments I was going to take maybe 5 more minutes and there is absolutely nothing just to enumerate and list Without you know giving a lecture or even remarks on the many events that have gone on over the past couple of weeks and that are coming up in the next week. And this is simply a reminder that inshallah, you look into them or at least pick one or two of these and make sure that you're following up and see what these could mean for you if there are no questions. Yeah, go ahead. Um, So just to tie it back to the example, if somebody says um, I don't do any good actions, I, I, I sin a lot, but I have faith does that mean that they don't have true faith because it's not reflected in the actions? Um, or could it also mean, for example, that they, that, that they have true faith, but it's at risk of going away, and it will go away because it's not being anchored? So the, the more technical answer, the, the short answer is yes and no. It all depends for how long they've been sinning. So how much of that faith is left? So if you go back to the Quran and the narrations, yes, you may have faith, But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps giving you chances. But know that with every sin, that faith is becoming weaker and weaker. So, if this is someone who has been doing this for a long time, there's a way, you know, spiritually, psychologically, the way to look at this is to say, it's almost like they're they're making a mockery of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His forgiveness. Either they're taking this seriously or not. And this is different from saying someone makes a mistake and they ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala sincerely to forgive them but not with the intention of going back to the mistake otherwise that's not really believing that this is a mistake. Either you take Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and His commandments seriously or you don't. And this is where I say it could be a lack of faith. They might have, in theory they understand, they have the knowledge but they haven't internalized this. And that's why I use those you know, harsh and blunt examples. What if this was a fire or this was a, a poison or this was, you know, there was a risk of losing your job or failing a class or missing a doctor's appointment or an important interview? Would you be as nonchalant as they say with it and, and so like neglectful and, and uh, underestimating of its consequences? Or would you take it more seriously? And then so is this not a lack of faith? So, in certain cases, yes, and that's the case for all of us, that we have a level of faith, but then we don't have the discipline that goes with it. And that means that faith is not really internalized yet. It does not mean, as I said, that it ever gets easy. Because, of course, it's always easier to do nothing, or to be lazy, or to be neglectful. It's always easier. But on the other side, if you understand either the harm or how much good you get, depending on if we're talking about a sin or doing good, is this not enough? How much effort does this, you still require from yourself to pull yourself towards this? If it's a lot, then it means you still have a lot of work to do to solidify your faith at this level. And if it's kind of pretty effortless, then it means that alhamdulillah and inshallah, this faith, at least this level of faith, has reached a certain level of being part of you and who you are. When, when we talked about uh, the topic of, of Asma, we talked about this. When we said infallibility, one way to understand it, is to what extent have you internalized a certain type of knowledge? And if you go to someone, because we're trying to explain this is a big problem in Esma that we always have, and the theory of asthma infallibility, how does it not contradict the freedom of will, the freedom to choose? And it's because if you have knowledge about something and you decide to act based on that knowledge, which means we have faith, now we know. But we talked about this months and perhaps more ago when we talked about... Asma in the case of a bayt and in fact, we talked about Asma not only for Imams. We simply repeated what we had said for prophethood. We said a prophet is simply someone who has internalized knowledge. They have faith in a type of knowledge that we only accept in theory. We have no faith in it. And this is where you start seeing that we all have a certain level of Asma. Just not at the level of the ma'soom. And you can see that in your life, in your daily life. There is someone, that I think the example, I'm trying to remember which example we used. One example I often use is to say someone who works in a store. You take one person, I would say any of you guys, if we had a store now, and you worked as a cashier in that store. For one type of person, they might steal even if there's a camera, but they would try to do it in a way that the camera doesn't catch them. That's one type of person. There's another type of person, out of fear that the camera might catch them, they might not steal. They want to steal, but they know there's a camera looking all the time. most likely they're not gonna end up stealing. The threat to them is too much. For the first person, even that threat was not enough, they still stole. A third person doing the same exact job, that's what I'm saying, I would think all of you. The idea of ever stealing while working there does nothing cross your mind. In the case of the first person, the idea is there, the intention is there, and he goes ahead with it. The second person, They have the intention, they have the will to do it, but they end up not doing it for whatever reason. They end up not doing it. But the desire to do the wrong is there. But they control themselves, they discipline themselves, because there is too much of a harm. In the case of the third person, there is no desire to do the wrong in the first place. It does not even cross their mind once in the shift that they're working or the years that they're working there, never does it cross their mind, I should maybe take a bit of money and put it in my pocket. No one will know. Camera or no camera. And I think the example, you can all identify with it. This, this is Asma. Why? Of course, it's not the Asma of the Imams. It's not the Asma of the Prophets. This is a miniature version of Asma. Is it because you are lacking free will? Is it because God imposed on you not to steal? No. It's because you've internalized. It's become part of your faith, not your theoretical knowledge, because that's the first person. He knows in theory. He knows it's wrong. He still does it. The second person is still struggling. It requires an effort. It requires external pressures. It requires hell and heaven. It requires something from outside. There's a camera. Someone might catch you. You might lose your job. There's a punishment. The third person, they're not even there. They've moved on to other things. They have other issues. We all have that in our lives. For some of us, it's with fasting. For some of us, it's with praying. For some of us, the red line is, you know, I may do a lot of bad things, but I'll always pray. Someone else, not even that someone else it's not about just praying it's a lot better than that it's not the idea that i would miss a prayer missing a prayer would never even cross my mind what do you mean miss a prayer so to us to each one of us that's where you have to see what's your level of faith what's your level of knowledge what do you know has it become part of who you truly are or are you still struggling which means you need a lot more good actions to solidify that knowledge into faith so that's really part of your faith. And if you reach that, this will open the door to new good actions. So I know it was a long-winded answer, but inshallah it gives a complete picture. Yeah. So is, uh, it, is knowledge turned to belief through action? Like is that like what I'm kind of understanding? Like for example, say you know you know you have to wake up in the morning to pray right? but you don't do it, What doing it cause that knowledge to turn into belief that now, okay, now you're, you're on it and you're not going to miss it again because you started doing it? Like, is that how it works? Well, so if it's I would say, like, turn the question to something useful. and Because when you ask it this way, like, so yes or no, what does it mean? Like, basically, my question is, in the end, how would you turn your knowledge into belief? If you have knowledge... Through action. Through action. Yes. And that, that's when you see in the whole Qur'an, for instance, when you see in the narrations, when you see this constant worth and merit and value given to knowledge. It's not just carrying the knowledge, it's doing something with it. So yes, it is knowledge that has turned into belief, that has turned through action. Yes. Yeah. So you don't go from knowledge to belief and then because you believe in it, then you do that? You can, but in that case it's just still action. It's not part of who you are, you're still struggling with, you know, I might tell you now, I might give you some, you know, piece of, you might hear a a wire or something, you might accept, you might not accept, but you're still going to go and do. So it's kind of like an empty ritual, but it's not part of your belief. And this is where, you know, like if you go back to, let's say, if you read a ziyarah, for instance, at the beginning of the ziyarat, when it mentions the the merit, the value, and the reward for having the, the, reciting the ziyarah for an imam. In the cases where the, the condition is mentioned, there's a condition that says, When you perform the ziyarah of Imam al or you perform the ziyarah of Imam al if you take it just at face value, it's anyone who recites this ziyarah are, is going to get all of these rewards. But in other ones, you see that there is a detail that is mentioned. It's a key detail. It's the ʿārafan bihakta. This is where you see, what do you mean by knowledge? Someone who truly understands who this person is, and you perform his ziyara, you get all this reward. Someone else, it's only according to what they understand from what this person represents. Because at some point, if they have absolutely no knowledge, and they're just asked, come with me, I'm going to go perform a ziyarah of someone you don't know, this is just an empty ritual. What's giving value to this? The same thing goes to a prayer, for instance, right? What, or an act, Imam Ali salam performs one act, and then every act he performs, we get a narration about it, or we get a verse from the Quran about it, right? He just gave a, a charity one ring, like what's one ring? Then we have in our narration that some of the companions gave 70 rings in charity after. There's nothing that was revealed. There are people who give millions. Allah SWT has not revealed Quran for them. Imam Ali only gave a ring in a sherry. It's nothing. It's an insignificant, materialistically, it's nothing. And yet Allah SWT reveals Quran for it. Or Ahlul Bayt, Ashab al-Kisa, when they, for three days in Surat al-Dahr, when they gave to the orphan and to the person who was a prisoner and the person who was a, a, a traveler and the and the poor person who came while they were fasting, asking Allah Taala to heal Imam al-Hassan, Imam al Hussain, in Surah al-Dan, al The act in itself, a lot of us can perform that act. It may look difficult, but a lot of people can do difficult acts of worship. So what's the difference? Why is it that in their case, there's a Quran that's revealed, and these become your people that you have to follow, and they become the role model? Why is it that if the Holy Prophet performs Salat Layl, in his case Allah wa said, you reach the maqam al mahmood which is obligatory on the Holy Prophet to perform so that he reaches that level? It's not obligatory on us to perform salat Layl, but he has to perform it. But when he performs it, he reaches Al-Maqam al mahmood What about if I perform it? Do I reach that level? No. Okay, so what's the difference? This is why knowledge, yes, and yeah, the knowledge can go through the action, but how, how internalized has it become? How much has it become as part of you and your faith? And you, this is why I'm very careful when you use the word knowledge. Which knowledge are we talking about? The knowledge that Allah is granting you the additional guidance. This is a different knowledge than the knowledge that comes just from understanding the concepts and the theory and what's in the books and you know lectures and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the knowledge uh, like the hadith that Rasulullah sallallahu wa he says uh, um and then there's another hadith that says Ya Ali alayhi Salam, bika Rapun so would you say that uh, by him, like he's like, like by Imam Ali al-salam we are ranked based on our uh, level of belief. Like he is, that, like through him, uh, we get to be like uh, identified as to how much belief we have and only through him. This is a very complex question. Uh, it, yes, the, the short answer is yes, but yes in different ways, because each one of the things that you mentioned uh, is looking at it from a different angle. Imam Ali if you want to get to the knowledge of the Holy Prophet, the Holy Prophet is giving you the key. He's telling you, I'm the city of knowledge. Yes, I have all the knowledge, but you can't just get to me. Allah wants you to go through this person, and I have given him all the knowledge. If you want to get to my knowledge, you go through Imam Ali. Salam. That's one way to look at it. So, which means that no matter how the Holy Prophet is, to me that's almost a warning. If you try to go directly, you're going to miss that knowledge. You're going to misconstrue, misconceive, misunderstand that knowledge. Which I think Islamic history proves that that's exactly what happened. The other way to understand some of these narrations is Allah Subhanahu wa Taala made Imam Ali as the ultimate test. He left this world, the Holy Prophet left this world and there's a way to say, you know, that's enough. There's the Holy Qur'an and then there was a Prophet and that's enough. Allah Taala wanted to add an additional test. Of course, there is material reasons for that. That, you know, we talked about when we said, what is the need for imamah in the first place? But this becomes the test. It's as if you don't worship or you don't follow Allah Taala, however you feel like. And this means a lot more to the people who lived at that time. It still means something today. But for the people who lived at that time, this was the ultimate test. Do you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like you want or like He wants? What if you don't like Imam Ali alayhi which was the case for a lot of these people? For whatever personal enmity they created against Imam Ali alayhi salam, he became that ultimate test that you test yourself, are you a true believer or not? That you follow the Word and the teaching of Allah or not? Regardless of how you feel about Him, you know for sure, you have the knowledge, you know for sure this is the person you're supposed to follow. Who cares what you want? Who cares that you like Him or you don't like Him? There is an issue with you if you dislike Him. This is why the Holy Prophet says, this is how you distinguish believers from non-believers, and that There are people who, because they hate him so much, or they have personal issues with him so much, or they're so envious and jealous of him, they can't follow him. They can't get themselves to follow him. This is where the Holy Prophet says, therefore, you don't have real belief. This is the ultimate test. Allah is putting you through a test. You either follow him or you don't. And this is where you see there are people that, I personally think they, it's no different. Go back to the story of Iblis. He has knowledge, but he wants to worship Allah like he wants. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks him to do something that he dislikes to the point where he is ready to leave that world of holiness to whatever it may be so long as he does not perform the prostration to Adam. Because he doesn't want to do that. That's his test. Imam Ali alayhi salam can be seen in this way. He is that test. For those who dislike him, there are people who recognize his beauty and you have no reason why you dislike Imam Ali Then perhaps I would say this is not where it becomes a problem for you. This is not, you cannot apply this for yourself. If you know that there is no issue for you in following him, you only know him and he is the truth and everything about him is attractive and beautiful, why would you not follow him? But for those who have an alternative, for those who have created an alternative for themselves, and for those who they have, for whatever reason, they have envy, they have jealousy, they have hatred, which the Islamic world was filled with at that time and continue to be, for them, it's a real test. Are you a believer in that you will follow the truth when you see it? In that case, yes. This is how I distinguish. I use this man as my criteria for distinction between right and wrong. Can you trump the dislike that you have and look at the truth and follow it? Or are you just going to say, I'll I'll come up with a million and one, not a thousand and one, a million and one reasons why I will not follow him. When very clearly he has no competitor, there is no other alternative. Everything points to him. So for the person who sees that, then that's not your test. Perhaps we have other tests with Imam Ali But for, from this angle, which is the, the clear meaning of, of the, the, the saying of the Holy Prophet, then I would say for a lot of people for whom there is no, no other alternative because that's all they know and that's the truth that they follow, then that's not a test from that angle for us. Our tests are in many other different ways. So, inshallah, this, this answer is a question. It does. Inshallah, Thank you. Are we good? Okay, so maybe I'm going to leave maybe I'm going to leave the rest to, to another time. Maybe very quickly I will just instead of, of, of listing the uh, the many, many events that have taken place do remember that in a couple of days perhaps one or two days, insha'Allah it will be the beginning of the whole month of Sha'ban. So, inshaAllah, you took care of the month of Rajab properly. And if you did not, there is a narration from Imam al-Sadiq alayhis where he talks to one of his companions and he asks him. he says, I came to the Imam and I came to see him and it was the end of the month of Rajab. There were only a few days left. And the Imam, first thing is, he asked him, he told him, how much have you fasted from this month? And he told him, nothing. And he told him, you don't know what you have missed from this month, from the rewards of this month. What you have missed cannot be replaced with anything in this world. And then at the end, the man, the companion of the imam, tells him, what if I fast what's left of it? So this is just as a reminder for those who can, try not to miss a couple of last days, one or two days left of the month of Rajab, inshallah, if you can. This is a, the last opportunity to try to, to milk the rewards of the month of Rajab, inshallah. The month of Sha'ban, and we can't give a lecture, it's way way too too late. We talked for too much, and you guys are too tired. This is the month of the Holy Prophet. You need to have a relationship with the Holy Prophet. The Holy Prophet, in many narrations, has said himself, Help me. May God have mercy on those who help me with my month. Help me by fasting it. This is my month, the Holy Prophet says. And inshallah, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about intercession and shafa'ah. This is perhaps an easy way to get on that short list of the Holy Prophet for shafa'ah. Take care of his month. Honor the month of the Holy Prophet. And the narration, he says, those who fasted and performed good in it out of love for me are going to be receiving so-and-so rewards and getting into my shafa'ah. That's one thing to keep in mind. Two things that are mentioned in addition, of course, to the increased reward for the fasting of the month of Sha'ban. And maybe a word on the fast of the month of Sha'ban. If you can't fast the whole month and you want to just focus on a few days, the first three days and the middle three days and the last three days of the month should be a must for all of you. Okay? So without going into all the narrations that I explain, Inshallah, in the future we will late to go through those. Try not to miss the first three days of the month of Sha'ban. With fasting, the three days in the middle, the 13, 14, and 15, and then the last three days and link them to the month of Ramadan. Make sure you fast the last day of the month of Sha'ban and link it with the month of Ramadan, not only because it's a fiqhi reason where you're not sure if it's the month of of Ramadan or not. But from now, make your intention that you are fasting the last month of Sha'ban knowing that it's the last, the last day of Sha'ban, and linking it with the month of Ramadan, Inshallah, at another time, or you can look up the reward for linking that, how much reward you get, and how it counts as though you have fasted the entire month, in fact, as though you have fasted your whole life. So keep that in mind. This is a month of istighfar and sadafa So if you want to pay specific attention to practical acts of worship, istighfar, sadafa And then, finally, the one thing I would say that's my practical uh, thing for myself is this is the last chance. This is the last month before the month of Ramadan. We don't want to go into the month of Ramadan starting to get ready. So this is your last chance to establish some good habits for yourself. Make sure you have a proper schedule, a schedule where you take care of your body and your mind and your worldly affairs and your studies and your... Leisure, whatever it may be. There is a time to chill and relax, and that's fine, but this is not a month for chilling and relaxing, nor is the month of Ramadan. So you need to practice, you need to establish a good schedule, a productive schedule for yourself, a realistic schedule for yourself, so that you are already in the good habits once the first month, the first day of the month of Ramadan enters and you are ready to go. You've already been practicing. You already have a relationship with the Qur'an. You have a relationship with Salat al-Fajr and what happens before and sleep early so that you wake up with not too grumpy and not too tired and not impatient during the day and so on and so forth. Okay. You need to establish. You have four weeks. You have 30 days. Make sure those habits start being put in place now so that once you reach the month of Ramadan, you are, inshallah, fully benefiting from Every moment and every day in wow. it.